You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. And thank you so much for joining us, listeners. I am pleased today to talk to Tawana Ryder, who works for Versity, uh, and she is the Continuous Improvement Advisor and also the co-president of the Multicultural Leadership Council. Thank you so much for joining me, and can you tell us a little bit about Versity? What do you do? Thank you for having me. So Adversity, we are a blood center and we are a research center. We are a testing center and our mission is to provide blood and blood products for the people who need it. Uh, People who are in need of blood therapy, platelet therapy, plasma therapy. And we do that across uh, five states and uh, we have relationships with hospitals across those states who are advocating for those patients uh, who uh, then look to us to be able to maintain uh, a supply and inventory uh, of blood that can be made available on demand when they need it to help save lives. You know, we all have run across blood drives, and and uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But can you talk about when you give blood, or when one gives blood, I should say? Uh, how are the, what are the different ways that that blood is used, and what are some life saving ways that people are helping when they donate blood? Oh well, emergency use for people who are in accidents and need blood immediately because they've sustained uh, an injury where they are losing blood quickly. So they may need transfusion immediately. Uh, But for diseases such as uh, where people need uh, bone marrow therapy, uh, they may be experiencing uh, conditions of leukemia, uh, sickle cell. And um, so when we provide blood products, uh, we we get those requests from the hospitals uh, for what the conditions are that people need it, but we need the donors to understand that um, those conditions, they don't just happen. Sometimes they're happening all the time. And one of the things that has been uh, in the media a lot is the need for convalescent plasma. And so that is where the majority of the demand is coming from, although people are still suffering from the conditions that they always have and that require blood therapy, convalescent plasma has been a a big one. And so as the cases continue to surge, we also need those people who have survived uh, the the coronavirus to then be able to turn around and be part of the therapy for those who are suffering from the virus. Can you explain what convalescent plasma is? I'm I'm unfamiliar with that. So convalescent plasma comes from uh, people who have had the coronavirus. Mm. And after they have developed antibodies from uh, having the virus, then they come in and donate their plasma. And then that plasma has the antibodies that can then be transfused into a person that is uh, that has the, the virus and that can help um, heal their condition. Uh, 
That's really interesting. So when in all the nonprofits and organizations that we've talked to since March, the pandemic has radically changed what most of these organizations do. You know, whether it's a full, complete pivot like our friends at 913 Sports or it's a doubling of what they do like at Gleaners. Um, we spoke to the Red Cross early on and they said that it radically changed their uh, plans because blood drives got canceled, you know, yes. at a time when it was desperately needed. So how has COVID-19 changed diversity? It, in, in, this, in a very similar way. Uh, where normally we had lots of organizations willing to open their doors for us to have blood drives. Now there are some organizations that are not opening their doors at all, and they do not have employees on site. And so now it's about finding um, an organization that will be willing to open their doors or allow us to park a bus out front and, and, and use their facilities so that we can have blood drives. Uh, it has changed it in a way that when we would normally be able to uh, collect, you know, a certain number of donors within a four hour time frame now because of social distancing and not being able to have six, eight people on a bus at a time. Now we have to stretch that blood drive out to from four hours to eight hours to collect the same 20 units that we could have done in four hours only because we can only have a few people on the bus at the time. It makes it so that we have to operate with a limited staff. Our staff um, uh, have to be, we have to have our staff so that they are in our donor centers and on our mobiles. And so it makes long hours uh, for them too when uh, they were normally working within uh, you know an eight hour day and now adding on their travel time. And um, so it extends our hours for our staff too as well to be able to collect the same units. Um, we uh, have developed uh, new relationships uh, with, the, with the hospitals uh, to um, uh, help educate about the need for people to donate convalescent plasma um, so people who are recovered from the disease um, are, are know, know that they have a, a, a gift that they can offer uh, outside of their, uh, along with their own personal recovery that they can help other recovery. So there's a lot of education uh, that goes into this and giving and, and making it so that people feel comfortable that they can come in and, and donate blood. I heard somewhere that uh, if you donate blood, you can tell that person if they had coronavirus. Is that the case? We we pro uh, provide antibody testing on every person that comes through the door. And once you donate uh, within a couple of weeks, you will receive a letter to let, uh, you know, let you know if you have those uh, coronavirus antibodies. So if somebody wants to set up a, a blood drive or just give blood, what are the ways that they can do that? They can call into our organization or go on the versity.org website, and you can look up the state uh, where you are to, uh, to click the link that says uh, find a blood drive or set up a blood drive. And if you call right in, we can connect you to a field recount rep that is in representative that is in your area that will talk to you about the requirements of, of setting up a blood drive, what the spacing needs to be like, 
what type of lighting atmosphere is needed. And so we always have people that are really on the phones waiting to take those calls. And on our website, you can learn more about how to set up a blood drive. You can become a blood drive host. And that website is versity.org, V-E-R-S-I-T-I.org. And my guest today is Dr. Tawana Ryder. She is the uh, Continuous Improvement Advisor and co-president multi of the Multicultural Leadership Council. And that is her main reason for visiting with us today. So let's talk about your program, A Seat at the Table. Tell us what what is A Seat at the Table and what are your goals with it? So a seat at the table is a series of uh, community-focused panel discussions uh, talking about uh, how uh, communities of color uh, are impacted by conditions that don't always get the same attention uh, that is given uh, that other communities get, such as uh, the need for organ transplant, uh, about the need for blood therapy for people with sickle cell, and even about the type of supports that are needed for those families who are supporting individuals who are um, who are living with those conditions. And so there are three movies uh, that will be discussed at each one of the uh, events. So uh, if you sign up, it's an Eventbrite uh, event. You can get the details uh, from our website. And one of the mu- movies is Spilled Milk. And it, it looks into the life of a, a patient with a person with sickle cell and the challenges that they live with and uh, the perceptions that people have about sickle cell patients, uh, the types of therapies that are or are not provided uh, for people with sickle cell. And really the, uh, that um, people really don't understand a lot about what people with sickle cell experience because it is a condition that you cannot see. And so when they are having a pain crisis, you can't see the crisis. And so you, uh, so a lot of times people don't take them as seriously uh, and really understand their disease to take immediate action or provide them with immediate care. Uh, so sometimes those people are not getting the optimal treatment uh, that they should. Can I, can I pause right there and ask you to, to tell folks who aren't familiar with sickle cell what that is? So sickle cell disease is a, is a, a sickle shape of, of the red cell. And those cells and red cells carry oxygen through the blood. So when those cell, cells are misshapen, uh, as they are moving through, uh, through the bloodstream, they, because of the sickling, they clog together and they clog that blood flow. And the clogging of that blood flow creates pain with the person who has sickle cell disease. And so that oxygen is not flowing through their systems the way they are. And so that that type, that condition it can even lead to uh, conditions that are um, affecting their, their organ functions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there, it, it can be a long-term, it's a long-term condition uh, that can have all types of effects that are uh, days long, weeks long, random, uh, that impacts their lives so that they may not be able to uh, uh, stay, um, keep their employment because of the pain crisis that that onset immediately, may not be able to complete their education programs because uh, they are in and out of the hospital. Uh, these conditions do require that some be hospitalized during these pain crises. And so, um, blood therapy and bone marrow 
uh, transplant is therapy for treating sickle cell disease. Uh, so along with that, sickle cell disease mainly impacts people of color. Uh, one in 500 African-Americans uh, and one in 36,000 um, Hispanics have the sickle cell disease. Uh, but we do not have enough units on the shelf to provide them with the blood therapy that they need. Uh, right now, only 4% of the units that we have on our shelves even have the right um, hereditary factors that are needed for people with sickle cells. So the, the ask is that people of color donate blood to keep blood on the shelves for those patients. It's so for the 4% that we have right now and in our donor base that can provide that, there are 44% of African-Americans and 17% of Hispanics right now walking around with the right genetic factors that make them suitable donors for people with sickle cell, except we don't have them in our donor base. So mm -hmm. that's the call to action is that you actually have uh, what people need to help them um, help them live better and have a better quality of life with blood therapy. If we can get the word out and educate about that need for people of color to donate. That's great. And again, you can find out more about donating at versity.org, V-E-R-S-I-T-I.org. I'm talking to Dr. Tawana Ryder, the co-president of the Multicultural Leadership Council. And so what is the second movie that you will be screening? And will these be in person? These will all be, this is a webinar. Okay. So no, all these right. are not in person. These are our webinars. Uh, the next movie is a question of faith, an organ donation uh, panel discussion. And so uh, uh, like, uh, like other, dis uh, other gaps in healthcare for people of color, the likelihood of finding an organ donor is, is very limited as well with um, I, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but 60% of, you know, people on the uh, bone marrow waiting list are less, are not likely to find, excuse me, 60% of the people that are on the bone marrow list, waiting list are people of color, but we really don't have enough uh, people of color to have to be a genetic match uh, for the people on the waiting list. And so some people will live with their conditions without ever finding uh, a match uh, for organ transplant or bone marrow donation. Can, can, you, can I ask, what's the discrepancy? What, so you, the genetic difference, why is that necessary? What's the science behind it? Uh, it it's absolutely true that ethnicity matters. Just like, uh, so when people think about donating blood, they, we always talk about blood type. And so, but there are other hereditary factors beyond blood type that makes a person a one-to-one -one match uh, from a donor to a patient um, that, that makes them a better match. If a person is more like them genetically, it means that the, pers the person is more likely to have a positive response to that, trans to that transfusion rather than having a transfusion reaction. So you always want to find the closest genetic match. And sometimes people not, are not even able to find that match within our families. So we have to reach out into our communities uh, to find those matches. That's really interesting. And I, you know, I just had a, a good friend who had a kidney transplant. I've had several friends who've had organ transplants and the need to match is so incredibly important because the, the transplant process is so uh, thin. Um, 
Yeah, and a comment on that. Once so a person already has a condition that's being treated. And so now once they're treated with the, the organ transplant, now they're living with being an organ you know, transplant recipient. And that's a whole other uh, element to deal with for the rest of their lives as well. And so it was said in, in the movie, it was it was trading one for the other. And so either way, you have to take care of yourself. But just because a person receives an organ transplant doesn't mean they go the rest of their lives just free and clear to do everything. No, there's a lot of therapy that continues to, that is ongoing to make sure that they are able to stay well and healthy even after transplant. Yeah, the, the list of medications and things you can't do are, are surprising. Um, let's talk about the third movie. This is a name that I have heard a lot, uh, but I don't know a lot about, and I'm interested in hearing more from you about The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Uh, the story that uh, is shared here is of, of Henrietta Lacks is she was a, a, a Black woman with cancer and um, unconsented her cancer cells were taken and replicated and used and researched all over the world uh, without her without her or her family ever giving consent. And, it, and so the family finds out about it and the family wants to learn about the, the mother's condition. Uh, they want to learn more about how her cells were used in research. Uh, they want to know uh, because people have why? Because someone has profited uh, from the replication of those cells. Why wasn't the family involved in, in, in receiving uh, any, uh, any, any, anything about it? They were never asked if it was okay to do it. They were never uh, asked to be involved in the, the naming of it, the sale of it. It was even uh, renamed um, uh, by it was even renamed to try to cover up the fact that it was a uh, Henrietta Lacks cell. So they were called HeLa cells and it was he, uh, Henrietta Lacks cells who they were. And so uh, the movie talks about uh, how there, the, there is a mistrust, a distrust of the um, medical community because things like that happen. And over the years, uh, Miss Evans Boys, which is not a part of this panel, but is another uh, that is that talks about uh, things that have happened to people of color uh, where research was conducted and they were not informed uh, and felt they were and they were taken they were taken advantage of. Uh, and so when now today, when we have proper consenting taking place at every level, uh, people still don't have that same trust to set, to open themselves up and, and really believe that's what's happening with their cells, with their blood is what we say is going to happen with it. But there is full transparency uh, now, even to the point that um, when a person consents to donate, to donate blood here, um, there are times in the year when we have an initiative where we send the person an email to say, hey, your unit has now uh, been uh, uh, called for and is going to go to this, you know, you never give a recipient's name, but it's going to save someone's life. And so a person now even knows and is able to follow the path of their blood to know that uh, that we have done uh, the, the, the moral, the ethically correct thing uh, with their unit and have not uh, taken advantage of anyone in any way. So there's full transparency around it. And that's what that movie's talking about. 
of people not being educated about what is happening with them in a, in a medical setting. So how does that how does that play out the, the the misdeeds of the past and then also the present thoughts around those things? How how does that affect people's real lives? So what so around the U.S. It is, uh, and, and you can just read uh, journal after journal of this, that uh, getting people of color to donate, it, we are always on the short side of that and always wanting to understand why. And um, some, there are three reasons why the, the, the mistrust and people not being educated about the need. And also uh, people will say, nobody ever asked me. And so we have to make sure that we uh, get the word out uh, to everyone uh, about the need for blood, and I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> well, just just the human impact of of that disconnect between, you know, there's there's a lot of things that as I kind of do these various shows, and you you there's sometimes a disconnect between public opinion around something, yeah. and then the way that things have caught up. You know, the that public opinion shapes some solutions, but public opinion's not there yet. And what what's the cost of that gap? Well, it, the cost is that people can can go and and have to either not get their uh, have to not get their organ transplant or have to wait till we get the units on the shelves uh, so that they can have their uh, their blood therapy uh, and so and and so we don't understand that it's really about understanding about that that genetic match. And that at, just because there's blood on the shelf, every unit is not meant for every person that that needs it. You know, there we 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 really have to match that up uh, to make sure that's right. And so it's it, to, to me, it's like maybe everybody else thinks everybody else is going to do it, but you know, each person needs to take it upon themselves to uh, go and extend an arm and be willing to save a life. Uh, I've seen it where uh, if a family member receive blood, then the other family members come in to donate blood to replace the blood that their family member used. And I think that's always awesome because those people, they, those people get it. And when we ask a, a people to donate, it's not about a one-time donation. It's about, can you donate multiple times a year? Because the need for blood is always there. So a person can give blood every 56 days. So can a person uh, get it within their hearts and on their calendars to, to come out and donate every other month? Um, and it's about building a lifelong relationship. We start these relationships um, about blood donorship with people when they are in high school. And, and the hope is that if we can, you know, we get into those high schools, then we get into these universities. And when these people are out of the education system, that they then have it with them that as adults throughout their working lives, that they continue to be, be blood donors, lifelong donors. And that's what we need. And so, um, and we have those, we just need more of those. So, uh, you know, uh, I take my hat off to the people who have given of themselves so graciously for the lives of, of others, but, uh, but we also need to keep spreading the word so that people know the need is always there. It, it, it doesn't stop uh, because COVID hit. Uh, now we just need more of it. 
Speaking to Tawana Ryder, who is the Continuous Improvement Advisor and co-president of the Multicultural Leadership Council at Versity. Their website is versity.org, V-E-R-S-I-T-I.org. And what are some other ways, other than the seat at the table uh, program that you're here today to talk about, what are some other ways that you engage in spreading the word and trying to to change minds and, and save lives? Uh, well, we want to we want to become community partners, and you know, so it's about getting with organizations, doing things like having health fairs, uh, having a bone marrow blood drive, having education sessions, doing the panel discussions like we're doing here, uh, being a partner with other organizations that have a similar mission to ours. Uh, even getting out into community. So just some things like we're doing uh, today, we're, uh, uh, well, last week started uh, hosting a food drive here so that we can uh, make sure that families that need to eat, particularly uh, families who are associated with the Martin Center Sickle Cell Initiative, we're having a food drive. And next week, we're going to take it all over there. You know, uh, sometimes people have been so um, affected by their conditions that uh, maybe they're not able to to get out and work, and so they might not be able to uh, get food on the table the way they used to, the way they did before. Especially now that COVID's here, and so many people's jobs have been uh, impacted by um, by COVID. And so we are also having a, a, a blood drive, a bleed blue blood drive that we have uh, every year here in Indiana. And we are encouraging people to come down and donate uh, and, and consider uh, stretching your arm out to help support the life of a person with sickle cell. Uh, so we're promoting through our Bleed Blue Blood Drive. And so that'll be held on December 12th at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll promote that on the, the radio uh, uh, the radio shows here to get people to come out and donate. Uh, we provide scholarships uh, for uh, students who are com- coordinators. Uh, it's a leaders, leaders for Life program uh, where people, if they are become commu- coordinators of blood drives within their school system, then there is a mentoring program, a leadership development program that is held with Versity. Then we give them community uh, s- uh, skills as leaders and community coordinators. And so we start helping people build their resumes if they see themselves uh, working as community advocates in the future. So there's a lot of things that we try to do. Uh, there are career fairs uh, that we have um, uh, looking for now to uh, increase our, uh, our staff with a bilingual uh, in English and Spanish speaking uh, staff so we can be uh, more engaging with the Hispanic community. And, and so we're hoping to uh, make the inside of our organization represent the community on the outside of our um, organization. So uh, diversity inclusion on the inside of diversity, multicultural outreach on the outside of diversity. So we're trying to bring it together uh, so that uh, we are able to serve our or serve the communities, um, not just by giving blood, but uh, hopefully be a support um, to help improve lives in many ways uh, for uh, the community. 
Well, excellent. And I, I love a seat at the table as a program. I learned a lot today. Uh, and I would ask you what I ask everyone at the end. What do you see every day in your work that you wish everybody understood about what you just know to be just the rock solid truth because you've experienced so much? I see people walk in the door with hearts of gold, uh, wanting to help, who want to share, and they come in and they have these relationships uh, with our dedicated staff uh, who are here every day uh, to meet with the meet with the community and uh, and and together uh, get, help create that gift of life for someone who needs it. Our, our staff, you know, this facility is open 24 hours a day. And so beyond collecting it, there's a testing lab that's testing it all night. There's a distribution lab who's getting it to the hospital. So what you will see in here is what I see uh, that it never stops. It never stops. The need is always there. The work is always being done. And so, um, I had the, had the most respect for the people who are working here and the people who walk in our doors to help uh, make life better for people who need it. So thank you to our donors and thank you to our heroes who work at Versity. Dr. Tawana Ryder, the Continuous Improvement Advisor and Co-President of the Multicultural Leadership Council at Versity. Their website again is versity.org, V-E-R-S-I-T-I.org. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please email Gabby at nowhearthisindy at iheartmedia.com. And thank you for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. If you want to sound smarter when talking with your friends, our mission at the We Are Libertarians podcast network is to inform you about the world in an independent and irreverent way. We take current events way more seriously than we take ourselves. We help listeners understand current events to empower you to improve your life while liberating your community. And in the process, we are building relationships that keep each of us sane. With a group of co-hosts from across the political spectrum, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties. We give you the tools to think differently in a world where there is more than just Team Red and Team Blue. So download all of our shows on any podcast app by searching for We Are Libertarians and check out my show, The Chris Spangle Show.